You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number 16. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode 16. I'm Rebecca, and with me is a creature of the night. What sweet music he makes. It's Will. Bleh. <laughs> My castle has foundation problems. <laughs> I'll say. Speaking of foundation problems, can I tell you about something happening in our house? Can I tell everyone about something happening in our house? I'll see how embarrassing it is, and then I'll say yes, tentatively. I told Rebecca a little bit about this when it happened because I needed to tell her, but I had a dream recently that is Halloween-related, and I know I have monsters on the mind because I dreamed we had a whole bunch of stuff to do, and it was too much, and we didn't know how it was going to get done. And so Rebecca, without telling me, decided to make a Beetlejuice deal with Freddy Krueger. And I didn't know what was happening until I saw him like showing up in windows like, Ugh. I was like, did you call Freddy Krueger? And she was like, what? You didn't have no better ideas what we was going to do. She said, why? You scared? You scared? <laughs> and I was like, this is very confrontational. I think it'd been fair to let me know that we're getting Freddy involved. And you were like, it had to be done. Somebody had to step up. He was a handyman. He was, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. He was a uh, he was like a custodian for the school, yeah. isn't that right? Oh, that's so funny. He did stuff in the boiler room. We got to yeah, we're about to have to turn the furnace on. You know, he might need to I keep holding out. I keep it wintry. <laughs> I like it. We're getting them savings right now. Yeah, and I don't like the feeling of heat blowing on me. I don't like that. Uh I'm a creature of the cold. (laughs) I like that better. I'm a wolf, like our last episode, I guess. Which, speaking of. Oh, yes. So uh, we were talking about whether the effects of the full moon are real, whether it makes people uh, get wild. I had already decided yes, but now tell me some evidence that we have that supports (laughs) this. I did a small poll on our Twitter account, and everybody either wanted to believe or everybody just believes it. But anyway, my sister who works in a hospital, says the full moon thing is definitely real. She says whenever this happens, you get weird cases and patients act differently. And sometimes there are a lot of babies being born too. So it's just like some some wildness. She says, she said, I quote, Friday the 13th, no change. Full moon, hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's real. The full moon is real. And we also had uh, a little bit of feedback about the werewolf pics. This was uh, our uh, friend Cynthia on Twitter was mentioning we probably should have picked Tracy Jordan from uh, 30 Rocks Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Yes. That was a really good Which one. again, like I, I feel like I mentioned 30 Rock too much. And I just love it too much. And I did think about Werewolf Bar, Bar Mitzvah. And I was like, oh, I can't use it just because I like it, but I really should have. But no, total total mention there. Yes. Yeah, you get used to you get used to that one. But when it first came on, it was so funny. I just it couldn't was. even believe that was happening. I really really do love 
when you have a joke that's like so small and contained that your imagination fills out the rest and uh -huh. it's way funnier than what the full you know what like i just i really enjoyed that i always liked that yeah, game a, a lot Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky scary boys becoming men men becoming wolves and i and she did have one more but i'm gonna address that later in the countdown okay okay so what are we talking about today on today's show we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the vampire archetype. This is a this is a big one on the monster countdown. I have four. Rebecca has four. It's a top eight. Now what is a vampire? I decided to go more loose with mine because I feel like we have to loosen up our definitions to look at how we've kept the vampire modern okay. uh, across time a little bit. Right. So my definition, which is probably a little more forgiving maybe, is uh, an undead creature that sustains itself by feeding on the energy of others. Uh, it of, but often has a cape and fangs and like a vampire and Dracula are nearly synonymous. Yes, and could be undead and that they were dead, but they're a status that's not dead, but not living, but eternally living. Okay, sort sure. Of all, okay. So immortality or, yeah, they don't, they're not mortal in the same way. Not mortal in the same way, yeah. yeah. You could be immortal. I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to be picky about it either because you know what? It's vampires and everybody calm down. <laughs> like, there's just no need to get picky about it. There's no need to get picky about anything. I, spe speaking of it being loose, I was also going to say, you know, not only are Dracula and vampires synonymous, but I feel like Dracula is even slowly becoming a, a common noun like Xerox or dumpster. I mean, it certainly is if I have anything to do with it. It's a Dracula. Because I do like saying Dracula as just a common noun. Yeah, Draculas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's filled with Draculas. Don't go in there. Yeah. So this is another one that comes from folklore and dates mm -hmm. way back to everywhere and always, including ancient Greece, like werewolves, same deal. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why we don't do this about other monsters, but according to my research... Vampire legends can kind of be explained away by our poor understanding of infectious diseases, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. That we have this for vampires, but we don't so much about the other things, about, you know, werewolves or ghosts or anything else. Mm -hmm. But vampires, it's like, all right. It's fun to be able to trace it back, yeah. Well, yeah, like uh, we, we had things like porphyria, blood disorder, that makes you sensitive to sunlight. Or even things like tuberculosis uh -huh. or pellagra, which is caused by lack of vitamin B3, kind of makes your skin peel off. And again, sensitive to sunlight. So I was also reading about, um, you know, that uh, relationship between vampires and wolves or dogs that also um, the psychological behaviors that made people think of vampirism might have been like uh, related to rabies. You know, oh, which right. is Rabies. where you get That's bats, bats and dogs. Yeah. And, which is why they turn it like, uh, they turn into wolves and bats and stuff. Yeah. So a, that's also. A, a bat gets on you and you start acting crazy. They're like, oh, he's a vampire. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> like in Problem Child. I also was looking at where our earliest like modern records for vampires came from. I don't know if you saw this in your research, but uh, rigorous research. I found a good article in Scientific American about the first like serious earnest report on vampirism. And they were almost, vampires were almost entirely unknown to European imagination prior to 1730 until a report from a field surgeon in the Austrian army uh, from a guy named Johann Flukinger, uh, who was sent to investigate bodies of exhumed villagers who had blood in the mouth and nose and hadn't decomposed much. Ooh. And uh, that report would become known as the most thoroughly documented and most circulated vampire narrative in the world. 
But in uh, 1718, much of the region known as the Balkans was ceded to the Habsburg monarchy by the Ottoman Empire, and that caused uh, the local vampire folklore, like he was investigating, to be merged with European ideas of witchcraft, and that has stayed with us for centuries, and that's kind of where our modern or Dracula understanding of vampires comes from. Yeah, my understanding is that Eastern Europe took the vampire myth, they just ran with it. Yes, and, and so that, that's where you yeah. get the Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> and it's their whole thing. Yes. Like, it's a good whole thing. Like, that's a great thing. That is a great piece of culture. I'm envious. Can we um, talk about uh, maybe some uh, quick quirks and rules of vampires? I think you mentioned the sunlight thing. Okay, sunlight, yeah. The, 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 and even back then, like, they were only, they were loosely agreed on, and then there were common things, but they weren't always appearing yeah, in every yeah, story. So, yeah. But it's, I, I thought it was interesting, all of our modern tropes that we know about vampires from movies, from, like, the universal Bela Lugosi era, mm -hmm are still the same ones, more or less, that they were operating with in, like, the 1750s, you know? Uh -huh. Which is interesting. But, okay, so we said sensitive to sunlight or can't go yeah. out in the sun. Can't, think, go ahead. Oh, can't see your reflection in a mirror. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's an early one, too. Like, or you know, they wouldn't cast a shadow or you couldn't pick, take a photo of them mm -hmm. a little bit later. Like, things that make you think they don't have a soul, probably. Yeah. Or, they, or their soul is not, like, uh, blessed or something. Um, so which reminds me of, uh, I think we could have like a category of aversion to holy items, whether it's a cross or holy water. Yes. Aversion to garlic too is is a common, yeah. an old one as well. And I I don't know. Well, speaking of herbs and, and spices, there was also a weird one I'd never heard of, which is that uh, they have to count seeds. Like if you throw a bunch of seeds at them, they have, they ha they're totally preoccupied to have to count them all before they can proceed. Had you heard that? I have heard that because I heard that's where they got the count from Sesame Street. Oh, really? It was sort of like this weird old myth that like tied vampirism with OCD also. Of all uh -huh, things, uh -huh. you're like... You're like, I'm feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that was a thing. And then they took that and that's where they got the count from Sesame Street, oh, they, making him obsess obsessed with counting. That's really funny. Isn't that cute? Wouldn't that be funny if you threw like seeds at a vampire? So I was like, I got them all. And you're like, I think you missed one. I, th I had 14. Not, like, <laughs> I think you are cheating. <laughs> like this, isn't that one over there? He's like, no, this is a pebble. <laughs> <laughs> and then can I also ask, um, did you find anything about how you become one? Oh, you you get bit. That's the main one. I, but I was surprised. I also saw we have explanations like sorcery, um, contagion, suicide, which I'd never heard oh, of. Oh, yeah. And I feel like I saw something weird like if a cat jumps over yes, you. Yes, that was a weird one. I, <laughs> I, I, I never heard of that. Oh, and then also if you're born on Christmas, which is bad news for our friend Josh, uh -huh. vampire. And then if you're born between Christmas and ad, I don't know, however the weird Advent season was, blah, 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 you might be a vampire. <laughs> if you stop and count all the seeds when you pick them up, he might be a vampire. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, so weird variations on a theme, but also a lot of real like common ones that we just like to keep around for yeah. whatever reason. Which I'm into. I, I really like how the vampires of the 1700s are not too different from the ones that we enjoy today. Well, with that solid foundation of vampire facts, do you want to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. My first pick is a professional inspiration for me. He was a failed news anchor who became a schlock horror movie host. My pick is Grandpa Fred, 
the vampire TV host from Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Aww. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was I proud of this of one. That's a good one. I was proud of him. And then when I saw uh, the picture of him, when I was looking at him, I was like, yeah, that feels good. And I didn't realize how much he stuck with me. That's tonight's movie. And boy, is it scary. Oh, it, it's so scary, it'll uncross your eyes. It's a good thing that your grandpa Fred is here to protect you. Where's the moan? The what? The moan. There is supposed to be a moan here. From the coffin. And then I say, oh, Renfield, you want some more flies, don't you? And then I go over to the coffin. Sorry, Fred. Can somebody find a table the Hey, Fred. This is a good one for many reasons. Okay, continue. <laughs> we did watch Gremlins 2 fairly recently. As I recall, I think you were surprised by how trashy the movie was. A little bit. It was the first Gremlins was a pretty classy little screenplay, right? Yeah, it was this a one really was like nice a contained satire story. of that one or something. Yeah, Gremlins too was wild because at one point Hulk Hogan <laughs> talks to the audience, yes. and that was just baffling. I was like, "Is this my life? Like I've always wanted Hulk Hogan to address to break the fourth wall and address me." <laughs> it's really, <laughs> it's really funny. Um, I mean, it is like really stupid, but it's like. Um, I don't know. It's like the Muppets, but really crude. Um, yeah, I can see that. There yeah. was, there's like it, my, the best example I can think of from the movie of the way it's funny is like there's like a, a TV interview somebody's doing in the middle of the movie uh, in this building where the gremlins took over. And then you just see like a gremlin hand with like a makeup uh, powder thing patting his face for him while he's talking. And it just comes out of nowhere. Like <laughs> they're just like, yeah, OK, we'll help. Like I just think it's so funny. <laughs> So this movie takes place in uh, Clamp Tower, and it's sort of like um, how we thought um, business would grow in the 80s where everything is figuratively and literally vertically aligned in the same building. So it's this place uh, that's like a small city with TV sets, a mall, it's climate controlled, people tour it. There's a statue outside of uh, a globe being clamped by the letter C that looks like a claw. Um, and from that statue and stuff, we were talking about how this movie was supposed to be like a satire of the first one, but it was also like a lot of 80s movies, a satire of the 80s, because for some reason, we all agreed that 80s was the future. Like we made it. We turned the corner <laughs> on the 70s, uh, the woolly 70s, and now it's the 80s. It was interesting in that the 80s, d during the 80s, everyone was very aware that it was the 80s and mm -hmm. that it was a, a ridiculous new era yeah. We were uh, you were talking about our friend Josh. I remember having a conversation with him about how I wonder if the Brady Bunch satire movie they made would have been funnier in the '80s because our uh, idea of the future was so tied to the '80s. There would that have worked better? Like it's it was just weird the way we ag agreed on that, but everything was like um, glass skyscrapers and neon and stuff. It's just what we thought it would be like, like a yeah, Blade Runner or something. I'm very disappointed that my life hasn't taken place in skyscrapers like I was promised. Yeah, I'd even be fine if we had one of those giant vertical cities and we were at like the bottom, you know, and we were like looking up like the rich people live up there in their sky cars and we're in the, in the dregs or the... I don't want to live in that. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Well, we'll get tattered sleeves and lead pipes. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> Grandpa so, Fred. So, yeah. So, anyway, this building is probably based on Trump Tower. Back, like, back I would say with a splash of Ted Turner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back when we didn't know he was a 
broke husk of a human being. <laughs> <laughs> so Fred works there. Only his business partners knew. <laughs> right. So uh, Fred, and his ghostwriter continues. Sorry. <clears throat> Fred works in Clamp Tower, and uh, he works in this TV studio where he's the host of a show called Grandpa Fred's House of Horrors. And like I said, he's like a schlock horror movie host. And he looks like uh, a lot like uh, Grandpa from the Munsters. He does. Like, I, I can't distinguish them in my head, but I can absolutely picture Grandpa Fred. They, they look almost identical. Yeah. You could tell me they were the same one. And it's sort of like um, uh, a dad vampire costume. Like if, like if somebody's dad makes like a sad vampire costume. You've got like slick back hair and a tuxedo and the powder face and, and like the little pendant you know, that, oh, yeah. that he has and everything. And here's the, here's the thing about Grandpa Fred, why I picked him and why I think he stuck with me, is he's sort of like a melancholy figure because his deal is he's giving the show a real go. He's trying really hard, but he's struggling because this isn't what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a newsman, and his budget is too low to even make the show good. And he reminded me of... Uh, an old showbiz guy whose shtick just doesn't work anymore. Like they're pouring everything they have into it, but it's kind of melancholy and almost confrontational because like they're telling you the jokes, but almost in a challenging way. Like they can't hide how resentful they are. You're not appreciating them. <laughs> and This is like a very deep and nuanced take on Grandpa Fred from Gremlins 2. Well, here, here's what I think you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. It reminded me exactly of, and this sounds so mean, but... You remember when the com old comedian Red Buttons appeared on Roseanne? I do. <laughs> it, it was almost exactly like that, where he's like telling that joke. And you know, even in the episode, he's supposed to be like annoying, but the actor Red Buttons almost resists it and is trying to sell the jokes that are supposed to be lame, if that makes sense. Uh -huh. And he's telling a knock-knock joke, but he's like really trying in the scene. And he's like, knock, knock. And it's like totally off beat with the whole scene. I get what you're saying. That Again, that's just a very nuanced take on Grandpa Fred, but I get what you're saying, you know? It, it, so, it's someone it's real, who has been so shoehorned into a role or that yeah. is, that's what's been expected of them their whole life that, like, again, there's almost a layer of resentment there. Because, yeah, like, you don't even know my history. Like, if you want me, I'm going to do my thing, and you're, I'm going to make you appreciate it. I'm not here to be the washed-up guy, like you're saying I have to be or something. Um, and, and to prove that point, Red Buttons later did that really lame White House correspondence dinner where he told all the safe jokes because they didn't want a Stephen Colbert incident again. Like, it's the exact same thing. What year was that? I think this was, uh, this was either the first Trump or the second George W. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, anyway. Nothing against Red Buttons. Bless him. Yeah, it's fine. I, just, I was just using it as an example, but it was just, it was just really the same thing to me, I think. Okay. Um, uh, but then Grandpa Fred's luck changes because he lands an interview with some of the real gremlins, which is like the perfect combination of what he wanted to do and what he's doing now. And so... <laughs> yeah, the, you got to build your resume from one gig to the next. The gremlins have taken over the building and he gets to talk to the one named Brain who, he, he can, who can actually hold a conversation and he articulates what the gremlins are and what they want. And Grandpa Fred is filming everything and getting the scoop. And at the end, Grandpa Fred helps Gizmo and the good guys defeat the gremlins and he gets a big promotion from uh, uh, Clamp. I think the main question that people have is, the creature, what is it that you want? Fred, what we want is, I think, what everyone wants and what you and your viewers have, civilization. And so, uh, to tie it all up, he's like 
the spirit of the classic Halloween vampire for me, whose who's like image is like sputtering in the public imagination, but he kept it alive for a little bit longer for us. Even though his schlocky shtick was failing, he managed to find a way to keep it alive. That's very beautiful. Number seven. All right, at number seven, I give you a classic vampire. And I mean Gary Oldman's Dracula. What? Now listen. Oh, Gary Oldman. Yeah. I was thinking of who's from the surreal life? Gary Coleman? Gary Cole. No. What? Gar- I'm trying to think who Gary- was Gary. He was Gary with. Um- <laughs> well, only you would confuse Gary Oldman with Gary Coleman, but that's okay. All right. Or the other. I thought it was like a special episode of the sitcom he was on. No, no, no. I'm talking about Francis Ford Coppola's 1992 <laughs> film, Dracula. Yes, that's a really good one. I do okay. know what you're talking about. All right. About. Let me set the scene here. Okay. This is not different strokes. I can't wait to start talking. I'm what? sorry. <laughs> Welcome to my home. Enter freely of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula? I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Harcourt, to my house. All right, the year is 1992. And your teenage sister and her best friend are newly obsessed with the hot new vampire on the block. <laughs> And in a movie that has two young stars trying to breach into mature roles, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, somehow the one that everyone is into is Gary Oldman, mm-hmm. who is playing Count Dracula in the most Gary Oldman way possible. Uh-huh. Okay? This is the one where he has the uh, like the butt hump hairdo? Yes, the butt hump hairdo. <laughs> Among many looks, because they gave him tons and tons of looks in the film, his most iconic, of course, being the two cinnamon bun Leia buns on uh-huh. the top of his head. With his long red robe, where he was a disgusting old man, yeah, manpire. I like that. Disgusting old manpire. <laughs> so I wanted to pick this one because this was a straight-faced, completely straight vampire story that mm-hmm. was hard to sell, I think. But at least in my immediate neck of the woods, it was wholeheartedly embraced. And this is just a very nice, funny memory for me. Because, like, my sister and her friends got so into it, and they were, you know how um, everyone was horrified when the new It films came out and Uh people thought Pennywise was hot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, what's wrong with you? They thought Gary Oldman as Dracula was like the cat's pajamas. That, they that's just hard thought he for was... me to um, imagine. I know. But... but this is a very romantic take on Dracula. Uh-huh. That's why it's so funny, because in all the flashbacks, when he's, like, young and just has heavy metal hair. Uh-huh. And his awesome red armor. So to be clear, they liked for that him. version. They did like that version, but he was so compelling throughout the film that they weren't grossed out by him being old okay. and butt-haired uh-huh. or being a bat or being a wolf or the other things uh-huh. that we saw, right? But they did really like the goth version, the steampunk version of him with uh-huh. his little round purple glasses. See me. See me now. But I mean, like, they were so into it. Like, VHS replays. Like, this movie was playing in our house constantly. Official soundtrack CD constantly playing. (laughs) Book of production photos. Like, they just had... That's funny. Isn't that funny? But they loved it. Loved it. Now I'm I'm remembering what he looked like young. I think he looked kind of like um, uh, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath, but with straightened hair. Yeah, he had a little wave, though. I want to say he had a little attractive wave okay. in, in the hair. But yeah, but it was mostly straight. Okay. 
I like if you put me on a witness stand and they were like, "Is his hair like describe his hair?" I'd be like, "Well, it had a little wave, okay. but it was mostly straight." Okay. <laughs> it is I think it was Roger Ebert who said it best in his review. Coppola directs with all the stops out, and the actors perform as if afraid they will not be audible in the other theaters of the multiplex. <laughs> That's funny. And maybe it's just my memories of this movie that make me feel so fondly about it, but this is a very romantic Dracula. And I don't know if you, like, I know it's probably been years since you've seen it. It's been years since I've mm-hmm. seen it. I remember the bad southern accents. What? The bad English accents? English accents, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, well, you're confused because Keanu also did a bad southern accent in yeah. The Devil's Advocate. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So this, that is what, so I, I'm glad you mentioned the bad accents uh-huh. because I feel like the thing that's kind of charming about this movie is that it is so earnest. Yeah. And I feel like Keanu's a big part of that. Keanu Reeves very earnestly trying to do an English accent. Uh-huh. And he did okay. He kind of did like I don't know, a really good high schooler in a really good yeah, yeah. in a rich high school production where they're like, "Okay, we're going to do a play and you're going to practice." Yeah, it's consistent, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's something. Yeah. Winona Ryder did better. Uh-huh. She did better. I know where the bastard sleeps. I brought him there to Carfax Abbey. But anyway, it's just it was so breathtakingly earnest and ridiculous. And um this is romantic Dracula, because this is really the centerpiece of it was him longing for his lost love, uh-huh. who, if you'll recall, killed herself when he was off fighting for the Crusades. Oh, I didn't realize that. And that's why he turned his back on the Lord. Oh, interesting. And that's why he's uh, scaling up the side of the sheer wall of his castle like a tarantula sometimes. Exactly. That's the best part of the movie. We all got to do that. You, you yeah, that, that was a good part. Scarlet, uh, that scarlet robe fluttering as he's scrambling up the wall. That was so cool. That was a beautiful shot. Yes, it was. <laughs> oh, yes. Number six. This vampire has been resurrected for centuries. We talked about how they aren't just necessarily undead, but they're immortal. This is the way this one is immortal. Okay. Creating a dreadful dynasty of Counts Ducula. <laughs> yeah, okay. Count Ducula was a little after my time, but I think Count Ducula was cool. Yeah, it you really was. You played me was. the theme song recently. It's really, really It's real cool. good. It's a good song. So Count Ducula is from the British cartoon of the same name that ran from 1988 to 1993 and broadcast here in the States on Nickelodeon. Well, it wasn't after my time. How could we just... Oh, it was on Nickelodeon. Well, I, I didn't have cable. But the reason it probably seems old to you is because the character is a spinoff from the Brit- old British cartoon Danger Mouse. We saw it on TV because Nickelodeon bought the rights to Danger Mouse and then uh, the head of Nickelodeon at the time asked uh, that production company to make uh, a Count Ducula cartoon. If your brain is reaching for what this is, you'll remember everything when you hear the theme song. Theme song's real good. It's really cool. It's got like this uh, very earnestly done, not like, um, eh, not super campy Scooby-Doo-ish, but like serious Vincent Price-ish explanation for what the story's about. And then it has this super funky, really cool uh, rest of the song. In the heart of Transylvania, in the vampire hall of fame, yeah, there's not a vampire than the other. He won't bite, beast the man, cause he's a vegetarian, and things never first plan for. Now, I don't want to 
generalize, but I feel like vampires are pretty good soundtrack-wise. Soundtrack to the 1992 Dracula film. I've I heard it a lot in my youth. Banger. Yeah, it's, it's a either, banger. It's either scary classical or it's like that super uh, tacky uh, neoclassical uh, shred metal type stuff. Which I love both of those. I do things. too. I like them both a lot. So I think that's I think that's probably yeah. True. I love like trashy gothic classical music. Yeah, me too. If it's played in a parlor on an organ, that is like, why do you even have an organ? Whatever. I love it. I can't get enough of it. It's good. The vampires have all the good music. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think so. I think that's true. Home for many centuries to a dreadful dynasty of vicious vampire ducks. Uh, so here's the deal with Count Ducula. Like I was saying, uh, it was super cool, uh, and I'll get to this in a minute, but it's because I think they took the story really seriously, even though they were really funny. He's the 17th Count in this dynasty of Counts Ducula. It's the same soul who continues to be re- reincarnated. His previous lives included knights, Egyptologists, sorcerers, and scientists. Uh, But during this last reincarnation, something went wrong. Instead of using blood during the ritual, the castle stewards used ketchup and accidentally created a vegetarian vampire who is not interested in being evil and is always up to some scheme to win fame and fortune. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Uh, He's got two hysterical companions. Wait a minute. Did that happen to me? (laughs) I love ketchup. I'm a vegetarian. Fame and fortune paleontologist pa- I don't, you know I don't know I'm I'm feeling a lot of like resonance between me and the Count Ducula character well you'll you'll probably recognize more of this because his two companions are a droll vulture butler named Igor uh-huh who wants to turn him into a real vampire uh, but he's still trying to help him out now uh, where was I you were about to double my salary my lord oh yes the- no I was not and mm. nanny a 10-foot-tall hen who sounds kind of like Martha Stewart and has preternatural strength. And she's always trying to help, but she's like always crashing through doors and ripping sinks off the wall and stuff. She's really funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, isn't that lovely? There's a lot to say about the mood of this show, but you get a real sense of it from the intro. It's moody, and they even have all these little cutaway shots of these astrological rites and stuff, and they've got this creepy, um, like, Baroque uh, Count Ducula organ that somebody's playing. And it's, like, British dry, and they're very strict about the aesthetic of the world. They've got, like, all this stuff that really seems like 18th century Europe, and they're they're always, like, uh, showing stuff with the peasants who live in the shadow of the castle, like, in the foothills of it and everything. And his castle's got, like, a torture chamber, and there's a coffin that uh, he can go inside, and it transports the castle to different locations, which is also sometimes part of the Dracula this myth. This just sounds great. It's really, it's really cool. I don't have a ton to say about it, except that it was, like, I think a legitimate, like, artistic contribution to animation. It is really, really good, and it's not just super daffy and Looney Tunes-ish. They told jokes, but they were all highly contextual in the very strict rules and aesthetic of the world. It's like Batman the Animated Series if it were funny, I guess, kind of, kind of like that. So I picked this one because... I sort of developed a thread through my picks of um, ways to keep Dracula and vampires relevant. And this one was for me. And this is one of the ones I like to remember the most. Okay. I wish I would have had Nickelodeon. Once a century, when the moon is in the eighth house. Number five. Alrighty, Jeremy. Got my vote for Vampire Rookie of the Year. Why is this happening to me? 
I've been good. No drugs, no alcohol. I, I do my homework. Why me? Look, try not to think of this as a handicap. I mean, there are a lot worse things than being a vampire. Are you aware that one of the past presidents of these United States was a vampire? Which one? That's not the point. I... I'm trying to illustrate that life can still be full, it can still be rewarding, that there are certain advantages to being a vampire. Yeah? Name one. Continuing in the fine tradition of letting you know when beloved niche characters on various Star Trek properties played legendary Halloween creatures. <laughs> I'm, I'm parsing all that. Okay, uh, this sounds good. I love it. I'm thinking about when... Uh, Troy or Crusher turn into that uh, spider monster? I can't remember. But, the, but I'm talking about not on Star Trek. Okay, okay. This actor is turning into Halloween monsters. Actor, yes. Got it, got I it. said character, but actor. Okay. okay, got it. I give you Rene Aubergenois, Odo on Deep Space Nine, uh -huh. played a vampire named Modoc in My Best Friend is a Vampire. Really? A 1987 horror comedy film starring Robert Sean Leonard. Okay. And so uh, our guy, Rene Odo, he plays the vampire mentor who helps our new teenage vampire kind of get on his feet. Oh, he's kind of got a Gary Oldman look to him. So, sort of. The sunken eyes kind of thing. He's got, a, he's got a really good presence. I think when you watch the little clips that I've set aside for you, I think you'll be like, that looks cute because uh -huh. that sounds like something you would say. That's what Will all the time. He's just like, that looks cute. That pitch too. That's just what he says. This is another one of those... Uh, spins where it's like you're trying to be a good vampire, mm -hmm. you know, like you don't want to necessarily feast on corpses, but you have to drink blood. So, you have you to know. find a way. Yeah, there's yeah. some good zombie stories sort of like that. Yeah. Too. I was going to ask you if you were suddenly a vampire. Yeah. Oh, good question. Yeah, I'm liking this. You're a vampire, uh -huh. like living your life that you're living right now. Okay. How would you get food? And you have to drink You have to drink blood. blood. That's just, it's blood in wherever it comes from, but you have to drink blood. Okay. Can I do the obvious thing and buy beef from uh, like Kroger? You can. Okay. I think that's the easiest way to do it. I don't see myself jumping right away to feasting on humans. I think well, I that's good. That. <laughs> that's really. Yeah. Or I would become a farmer and I would have cattle that i wouldn't necessarily kill but but you would bleed could, them yeah i could bleed them a little bit i think we could have a cattle pen that's what the hippie colony in the howling did okay for the werewolves i don't need humans to uh feed on i think i could do this with with uh with cows or something okay or horses so you're gonna have to make a career Probably change. Not horses i get kicked <laughs> <laughs> but depending on what side you do the cow from you might get kicked too i don't <laughs> yeah. know you gotta be careful around cows. Yeah, I don't want don't want to bite the flank. Okay, so Will's got to change careers and also buy some property out in the country. Okay, this cannot be used in court if I'm accused of a, being a vampire. Okay, I wasn't planning on it. Okay, see, my answer was just gonna be, well, we've got a lot of like real <laughs> cats in this neighborhood. I'd probably just eat them. <laughs> I would. I'd probably just systematically go through all the cats in the neighborhood that I don't like. Okay, they're always coming in my yard and like and killing birds and stuff. You, know, you say this to somebody who likes cats. I like cats, too. I yeah. like them just fine. You're just thinking practically. I'm thinking practically, and these cats are like, they'll like look at you balefully when you walk by. It's not like cute cats that yeah. like want to be your friend. Yeah. I was just like, what are you doing out in the yard glaring at me, cat? That'd be the first one I'd okay, kill. Okay, got it. And we've got a lot of big squirrels. Uh-huh. So probably between the cats and squirrels, I wouldn't even have to move out of the neighborhood. 
Anyway, that's not important, but everybody think about what you would do if you were a vampire. Where would you get your blood? Um, <laughs> just, just a question. It's a good question. Uh, so what the boy in this film does, so this is like a normal teenager gets turned into a vampire and he's got to navigate this world of like what you know what is going on here and their deal is they go to a butcher who sells them pig's blood because okay. he kind of quietly knows that there's a vampire community but they're good guys and so like they don't mess with people okay befriending a butcher sounds important for uh good vampirism yeah if you want to be a good vampire right. So, do you remember when I said that Teen Wolf was not a good movie? I do remember it's that. It's not a good movie, and that's why I also we... remember how it was not a good movie. Yes, it was just not a good film. Like, yeah. it's just not a good screenplay. It was poorly edited, and everything charming about it were just lost by the actual film itself. <laughs> right. It just drags. Yeah. I feel like I feel this... like I was watching... That movie so depressed. I felt like I was watching the story of Teen Wolf occur in real time. <laughs> Like you were just him a guy in a waking school. up and they filmed him for 36 hours. Like you were just a kid in, in school and you still have to like sit through algebra and then somehow in the background Teen Wolf was yes. happening. And it was, it was so decompressed. It's like his hair grew so slowly. It didn't even seem like a transformation. I like don't even notice it happened. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, this film is what Teen Wolf should have been quality wise. Cause um, it actually, it used a lot of those same tropes about, um, adolescence and you know your appetites and, and uh-huh. controlling them and you know civilizing yourself and and all that stuff and coming becoming an adult and learning your own moral code it was all of that okay. stuff for every decade you shall age but a single year it's not a bad deal what <laughs> wait you're telling me that i'm gonna be a teenager for another 20 years? Are you going to sit around and sulk for the next century? But it was actually a really cute and well-done film. And um, it was actually like a, a thoughtful, nice film. And there are female characters in it who don't get assaulted and who can pass the Bechdel test. And, like, it's just a really cute movie. Uh-huh. Like, it's good. And Odo was good. That's the And Odo part, yeah. was good, too. And he's the vampire mentor. And... He gives our boy, Jeremy, he gives him a sweet car to drive around. His uh, awesome uh, vampire car. I was going to say, because he's a vampire? Yeah, like he he's, well, one. he's like, I got to take off. I got to go take care of some vampire business because, you know, I can't hang out with you forever because uh-huh. I got I to mentor other guys. You know, I got to take off. Take my awesome car. That's awesome. Did it have like a, a bat wing fenders or something? No, but it was a very regal. <laughs> you could imagine a classy vampire okay. driving, I like driving it. it. It was a very regal I car. I like that. So Odo... Also, his name was Modoc in the movie, uh-huh. which means that that's just what we want to call Rene Ovechenois. Yeah, two-syllable long O, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, go watch that film. It's good. The end. I forgot, speaking of Star Trek actors who played um, Halloween guys, I forgot that Robert Picardo, the hologram doctor from Voyager uh, and First Contact, uh, the Next Generation movie, was uh, one of the bad guys in Gremlins 2, the new batch. He was, he was like <laughs> okay. one of the dirtbag uh, middle managers in the clamp building. Well, he would have been good at that. Yeah. All right, so th- those are our, our beloved secondary <laughs> characters from Weird Star Trek Property. Okay. Update for today. There okay. you go. Enjoy. Number four. Okay, I don't want to hear anything about this. It's a good pick. Okay? <laughs> That's a good way to start Okay. Off. This is a vampire uh-huh. called The Dweller in the Depths from Season 3 episode of The Transformers. <laughs> Okay, one, I'm looking for modern interpretations of a vampire, so accept it. Two, this was an episode written by Paul Dini, so it was done well. 
Well, yes. Okay, look, I love the Transformers as much as anybody else does. I just, I just. Okay. Are they applicable to everything? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm jumping ahead to the end, but yes. And one of the things I'll, I'm going to reiterate at the end is, more I watch this, I mean, I remember being, uh, Transformers is a good show. It's a yeah. really good show. I can, no, I can, I, I can see that, yeah. Okay. So season three of the Transformers was right after the movie uh, when they killed Optimus Prime. They went to space and the writers pretty much did whatever they wanted, which is great because on one hand, it had things like quintessence robots and decapitated planet eaters. But this was a problem for the show because kids like trucks (laughs) and they are not interested in quintessons and we killed their favorite truck. You know, sure. I'm sure there was still plenty of trucks, though. To be fair, to be fair, I'm sure there were plenty of trucks still. Are you all right? Weak, but I can make it. Well, you may be wondering uh, how a robot becomes a vampire because this is supposed to be a list of vampires. That's one of maybe many things I'm wondering. Well, a long time ago on Cybertron, the big bad guys, the Quintessons, created these part robot, part organic creatures called transorganics. But these creatures were unstable, so they were locked away deep in Cybertron's core. Anyway, uh, now, in season three after the movie, the Quintessons trick the Decepticons into going down there. Uh, They tell them there's like something to kill the Autobots down there. So the Decepticons soon find one of these monsters and quickly figure out that these transorganics can suck energy from a power source. Oh my God. And when a transformer is drained, they turn gray and become shambling power suckers themselves. And in case you are going to quibble with me about whether this is a vampire or just a parasite, they are referred to several times throughout the episode as vampires. Like the transformers are always saying things to themselves like, they're almost like energy vampires. That thing drains robots of their power like some kind of vampire. It's turned Rekgar into an energy vampire. And anything the beast touches becomes an energy vampire as well. So I'm glad they really wanted to drive it home for the stupider kids who may not have picked up on (laughs) that. Well, we started talking about transorganics and quintessons and stuff. And they're like, we got it. We got to hook them in. (laughs) If you ask them what this episode's about, they're not going to be able to tell you. (laughs) <laughs> they don't have capes. They so don't now know. we all see why Will was so insistent that our list and our definition <laughs> yeah. be loose. Yes. This is why. Yes. This is what he was plotting. I'm yes. all like garlic, state through the heart, old fashioned. <laughs> You're like, no. Nah. Okay. Well, I'm going to defend it a little more and tell you, this was such a cool idea because the vampire metaphor works really well with robots because it's barely a metaphor. They are literally draining the life force from these creatures, and you can see it so clearly, uh, and it makes a lot of sense. And maybe in the process um, of getting drained, they also get uh, prog- reprogrammed to have like a vampire routine or something. So, I mean, it could it could literally work. You could almost understand it better than happening in uh, humans or something, I think. I, it makes more sense to me as robots, I would argue. <laughs> That's Will's triple Aquarius placement <laughs> shining through right there. And there were so many good uh, moments in this episode. It, at one point, Galvatron throws one of his henchmen at the vampire thing to save himself. It was just so petty and cowardly. <laughs> I just loved it. I thought it was so funny. And also, uh, you were talking about uh, good female characters. I didn't. They didn't really do much 
don't know if they did anything with the the female Transformer at the time, RC. She was a real highlight. She was really fun to watch. They really needed that energy and color palette. <laughs> uh, but I love her laser pistol. And remember, Paul Dini's writing it. And I noticed watching a bit of this that she has some real Tila energy. Um, like she's, uh, she's kind of fiery and stuff. And at one point at the end, she's like the last person left in the cave and she shoots this vampire thing with a cannon and uh, actually says, chew on this, which was great. I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I do that all the time. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I'm going to close by saying the Transformers are really good. This is a literal vampire, and I think it might work better with robots, and they should be commended for once again finding a new way to keep uh, Draculas and vampires relevant for us and, and kids. Number three. Do you like Draco? She asked as we went out of the slivering common room and into the Great Hall. No, I so... Don't, I shouted. Yeah, right, she exclaimed. Just then, Draco walked up to me. Hi, he said. Hi, I replied flatly. Guess what, he said. What, I asked. Well, good Charlotte, I have a <laughs> Of course they are. Good Charlotte, I'm having a concert in Hogsmeade, he told me. Oh my God, I screamed. I love GC. They're my favorite band besides MCR. Well, do you want to go with me? He asked. I gasped. Now for my next pick, I'm going to take a trip to the black hole of infamous internet content from the mid audies So this is completely new to you. Okay. I, I think I may have told you about this before. Before I say her name, Will, tell me what you know about fan fiction. These are stories that often people on the internet write about uh, existing published worlds yeah, yeah, but they yeah. spin their own stories about and using their own characters and settings and then recently they are starting to get maybe more or less legitimized in in certain in certain worlds and certain forums and stuff and they are i mean like i think a pretty good measure of how legitimized fan fiction got was when 50 shades of gray which was notably a fan fiction about twilight got yeah. turned into the best selling book of everyone's uh -huh. mom's deepest horror nightmares. Anyway, <laughs> so yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, so you're right on. So we're coming from the world of fan fiction. I'm going to introduce you to Ebony Darkness Dementia Raven Way. What? From a famous, infamous Harry Potter fan fiction called My Immortal. What? She's a character who represents the serpent of vampire tropes eating its tail and is either the cringiest character ever invented or the most masterful satire ever written. And there are discussions to this day on various internet forums about whether that's true. Okay. Okay, now I'm going to give you a little taste of this. And this okay? is completely earnest. Like that name, somebody sat down and was like, this is good. Now that's the question. Here's our question. This is on fanfiction.net, okay. okay? This is full of people, a lot of them teenage girls, not everybody. You know, a lot of people of a lot of ages participated, but writing about their favorite characters, but inserting themselves as what's called a Mary Sue character. Uh -huh. You know, you've got a And again, it's a really gendered term, Mary Sue is, because they're like, oh, she just wrote herself as the main character because yeah. she thought it was cool. Literally every male author who ever lived has a Mary Sue. Uh -huh. Literally every male author who ever lived. 
I just name them and I'll tell you who their Mary Sue is. Uh-huh. It's a gendered term, but it shouldn't be. And so we call them Gary Sues. But anyway. If we were thinking about Wheel of Time, I feel like Perrin was Robert Jordan's Mary Sue. And that, that his storyline is so maligned, uh, but, I, but I think it turned out so weird in some parts because that's who he imagined himself as. Yeah, and uh, George R.R. R. Martin's Mary Sue is definitely Tyrion Lannister. Yeah. He Most gets definitely. The, he gets, I mean, and he's cool, but he like gets all the awesome parts, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, all right, here you go. Here's a, a reading from My Immortal. This is 2006, I believe, is when it comes from. Hi, my name is Ebony Darkness Dementia Ravenway, and I have long ebony black hair. That's how I got my name. With purple streaks and red tips that reaches my mid-back and icy blue eyes like limpid tears. And a lot of people tell me I look like Amy Lee. Authors know, if you don't know who she is, get the hell out of here. I'm not related to Gerard Way, but I wish I was because he's a major potty. You're going to have to bleep me. Sorry. There's there's lots of cuss words uh-huh. in here. Wait a minute. And so so let me, let, me, let me pause for a minute. She's telling me this about herself. Uh-huh. It's the first chapter of the book, okay? <laughs> Okay? I go to a magic school called Hogwarts in England, where I'm in the seventh year. I'm 17. I'm a goth, in case you couldn't tell, and I wear mostly black. I love Hot Topic, and I buy all my clothes from there. For example, today I was wearing a black corset with matching lace around it, and a black leather miniskirt, pink fishnets, and black combat boots. I was wearing black lipstick, white foundation, black eyeliner, and red eyeshadow. I was walking outside Hogwarts. It was snowing and raining, and there was no sun, which I was very happy about. A lot of preps stared at me. I put up my middle finger at them. <laughs> hey, Ebony, shouted a voice. I looked up. It was Draco Malfoy. Oh, my Lord. So this thing somehow started out being intensely made fun of and then almost lauded before for how terrible it was to the degree that, first of all, the author is unknown to this day. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know anything about the girl who wrote it. Mm-hmm. And um, people argue that it was so bad that it had to just be incredible satire written by someone very deep in the fan fiction community. And if you would like to go down an internet rabbit hole, it's a very fun one. There are tons of YouTube videos talking about this. Do they speculate on who would have written it? Do they think yeah. it's anybody who's known or just some random teenager? So Right now, the, the money is on some random teenager. but it, And it's interesting that she's never come out because this, this fan fiction is like complete people are obsessed over so, it to this day yeah, you could own it and maybe even get some positive celebrity from exactly it. exactly especially if you were like yeah it was a joke uh-huh um, so this is from a, a 2015 vulture piece about my immortal uh-huh see so here's some here's some more stuff that happens in, in that in name my isn't that like an evanescent song that is an evanescent okay, song okay. see so you can read you know you can read all of the all right, the, there's the references. lots of is that what you call there's lots of signifiers in, throughout this exactly, story exactly exactly okay So Ebony gets into a bisexual love triangle between Draco and Harry, the latter of whom turns out to be a vampire and prefers for people to simply call him Vampire. Hermione shows up in Chapter 8, but for no particular reason, she changes her name to Bloody Mary Smith. (laughs) They all spend much of the story going to concerts, slitting their wrists, and traveling through time. And there are anatomically improbable sex scenes. (laughs) Oh my, that's so awful. It is, but it's so awful. It's amazing. Um, you know what that makes me think of is, in some ways, how lucky we were that the internet was not born fully formed because 
as easy as it is for modern teenagers to post embarrassing things to the world before they uh, have all their faculties. <laughs> yes. They also had by now a couple of decades of like culture and practice, best practices to know kind of what you would and wouldn't and how to perform socially. But we didn't. We were there for the birth of the internet and how lucky we were that it was hard to distribute things at that <laughs> level. Because yeah. I think every teenager, if they grew up in a bubble where there wasn't like an internet culture, it was at high risk for publishing things you would not want to exist when you're an adult. Correct. And I think fanfiction.net stories would probably be a big, yes. big portion of that. If it know? wouldn't have taken five hours to post one of these, <laughs> we would have all been in trouble. And if you would have, you know, if there weren't the trend to use your cool pen name, that's why whoever wrote this is completely to this day anonymous. Mm -hmm. and we, and the world yearns to know her, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but go check out Google or go on YouTube and search, uh, my immortal, uh, fan fiction. And I think you will have a good time. <laughs> All right, so I've had two trashy vampires and one sentimental vampire from a trashy movie. And so <laughs> I wanted a modern vampire that did something for the vampire character and genre. So this is Ellie, the 12-year-old vampire from a terrific Swedish film called Let the Right One In. Are you a vampire? Did you think you were with me? We talked earlier. <laughs> this is your artsy pick. Yeah, yes. We this have, is cinema art. Yeah, exactly. It definitely is. And we mentioned before how the two of us found out that we really liked, uh, I guess you'll call them like psychological horror movies that are, yeah. that are often, more often ghost movies than monster movies. They're almost like science fiction, like the Robert Eggers, was it A20, what's uh, that studio? A24. Yeah, A24 type movies. And this, this one was very much like that. It was uh, based on a book by John Linkvist, who also wrote the script, and it was directed by Tomas Alfredson. One of the things about these types of stories, uh, and I've seen other people say this before too, but when they're done really well, the story would almost work or would work even without the supernatural element. But with that added in a story like this, it really helps you see the situation freshly. And yeah, like they're, they're just using it as a really good framing metaphor uh -huh. about actual real personal feelings or horrors. Yes. And so it makes, <laughs> it makes you uh, appreciate uh, the, the terror of that real dramatic situation uh, in a way that maybe you take for granted uh, in, other, in other circumstances. Yes. So this story is about a relationship between two kids. One is a boy named Oscar who's bullied at school and has violent fantasies. And then he meets a girl named Ellie, a girl, uh, she moves, and she's the girl who moves next door. And there's a very, very slow build, but he slowly pieces together what she is and she convinces him that they could help each other with their problems. Her being what she is and him having a bully problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and so the name of this uh, uh, film, Let the Right One In, comes from that uh, old adage uh, about vampires. I'm not sure if we mentioned at the beginning that you have to invite them into your home. We did not mention that, but we should have. And that's... Uh, uh, 
Uh, and we are never going to have that problem in our house because our dog doesn't want anybody to knock on the door. <laughs> they all was vampires. Yeah, they're all vampires. There is not a right one to come in, except for Scott. That's the only one who can come in. That is right. Well, Scott will be on a future episode. He's We've been busy. Right. We've got to get Scott over here. Porter thinks all mailmen are vampires and trying he to get does. permission to come in. Scott is not a vampire. <laughs> UPS man, vampire. So the thing I wanted to mention about uh, having to invite the vampire in is... I think this uh, says something really interesting about uh, like toxic relationships, like to, to invite her in, which uh, Oscar eventually literally does in the movie. She says like, you have to invite me in. And he does. He's allowing this very toxic, very dangerous relationship to form because he knows what she is and what she wants the two of them to do together. And at first it seems like this setup is going to work. They're helping each other survive. You know, she needs to be sustained. He needs to deal with his tormentors. Which it's been a long time since I've seen it, but that sounds very much like it's a metaphor about like trauma bonding also. Yes. Like that kind of a thing. Yes. Because unchecked, this becomes, you know, what we would refer to like casually as like codependency. Yes. Uh, yes. Good movies are better than therapy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't and, please go to therapy. Please go to your therapist. <laughs> but I'm just saying like, it's true. Or give something to talk to your therapist about. Uh, and so anyway, that kind of super toxic codependency, like in a situation like this can escalate into something very bad and dangerous. And at the end, there is this terrific stinger that I would love to talk about, but this movie is recent enough <laughs> yeah. that you really should see it. Um, I think it's, it's fair to say the point is they enable each other and the future seems very dangerous. And it's a really, really fun uh, last moment in it. All right. Well, before we name our top vampire, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Well, there's Benicula, who almost made the list. I'm glad you said Benicula, because I was thinking, I literally just thought of Benicula. <laughs> uh, speaking of vegetarian vampires, I, I guess that was a, that was a thing. Um, Skinner Sweet, the American vampire, um, like in the first comic book trade, I think Stephen King wrote those stories with Scott Snyder. Uh, the the vampire, the space vampire from the really good sci-fi novel Blind Sight, he, um, he's like biologically a vampire, and he can't see crosses because he is like... Uh, has a, a like a epileptic seizure when he sees Euclidean right angles, and so he wears contacts that bend right angles and stuff. And then uh, I have to mention the McNugget vampire, who I think is called McNugula. Yeah, <laughs> those are good. We're using my mummy's recipe. Mummy, uh, uh. And then lastly, um, my my trashy vampire novel uh, vampire Victor Rinquist from the Rinquist Quartet. I, I like those. <laughs> Ooh la la. <laughs> Um, you know what is funny is that from the very beginning of like vampires in literature, they all had real like la da da yeah, fancy names. They're aristocrats. Yes. We don't know too many poor, trashy vampires, which actually we do know one, and one of them's going to be on my honorable mentions. I'm okay. talking about all of the vampires from the Lost Boys. They're oh, they're trashy vampires yeah. for real. Um, I would also add, just out of fondness, Dracula from uh, the Castlevania franchise. Yes, I was hoping you mentioned video him. games. I, I, real, I could, it could have been a whole pick. But I, I was just, about to say, I, I think can't. we need to throw all the Castlevania vampires into into one thing, like Alucard and all those. Yeah, they're just too good and too numerous to mention. And then finally, speaking this, of great vampire music, that's some uh, great stuff. I just can't. It's such a mood. Castlevania Two, Simon's Quest, all the music is such a mood, and it's just like I just I can't. 
think of anything that makes me feel more yeah. vampire fun feelings than that. <laughs> anyway, and then finally, I would give you the energy vampire from what we do in the shadows. Okay. The reason why I did... Uh, uh, okay, so this was like an, another thing that um, Cynthia had mentioned when we were talking about werewolves earlier. Um, what we do in the shadows is a fantastic show. I've watched a couple of episodes and I had to stop watching it because I... Because we write Curdle Holler, mm-hmm. I didn't want to... Like, I think Will felt the same way. We didn't want to hear any jokes that might influence our writing or yeah. anything like that and be mad that they had thought of it and we hadn't thought yeah, of it or, or whatever. give yourself a chance to use it, but you can't if you see them use yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So like, that's like, we actually purposely had like, just decided to not watch the rest of uh-huh. it, but I thought it was a really well done. The first, the setup, especially in the pilot was really, really good, uh-huh. but they do have a guy who's an energy vampire. Like he, he lives with the coven of vampires and he's one of them, but all he does is just really make you tired when he talks. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. That is such a cute little concept. Anyway, so that's why we're not. That's why we're not mentioning that show more. Um, but yeah, and that, those are my honorable mentions. Okay. And then, nope, you said Benicula. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we didn't mention it, but I think we can loop it in with Dracula is uh, Nosferatu. I, th- I think, but that's like a that's yes. just like part of the archetype. That's almost synonymous. Yeah, he's almost like the main Dracula. Yeah. Okay. Almost. So, who's your number one vampire of all time? Number one. I give you Vampira. Oh. You know, I've often been asked why I don't light my attic with electricity. Isn't that ridiculous? Everybody knows electricity is for chairs. Let me darken the room. And we shall commence. Now, we see, and I love that you talked about Grandpa Fred being a horror host. I'm so glad that you did in the first pick because this all comes full circle. We grew up, you and I, in a time when the horror hostess was having a real comeback because uh, it was fueled by that same 1950s nostalgia that was popular in the 80s and 90s because our parents were recalling like their own childhoods and so forth. So it was really popular, uh, Tribby. We grew up not only with Elvira, but we also had people like Rhonda Shear on USA Up All Night. Uh-huh. And I, do you remember? I do. do you, I, and I we remember. We did stay up all night because we liked Rhonda. <laughs> we did. We, we, uh, we used to stay up till uh, 4, 4 a.m. Uh, and you're in that weird space where folks were like 10 to, 10 to midnight. We're playing with Ninja Turtles. But at midnight, we're going to watch Ronda. <laughs> you got to watch Ronda on Up All Night. And see, and I watched it, too. And it's really funny because they had no appeal for me, uh-huh. like in the in the uh, Ugo way. But uh-huh. I just it, it was just funny because it was part of the late night program packaging. So like when we were kids, it just seemed like a very logical and very regular thing. The same way I told you that I thought Wonder Woman was just like a regular lady from the yeah. Linda Carter show. I just thought it's like, yeah, when we watch movies, especially if they're like cheesy movies late at night, like we definitely need some sexy lady to tell us about it in bumpers <laughs> right. in between. Like this is just normal. This is a very normal thing. Nothing weird about this at all. The originator of this whole trend, and we should remember and pay fond attention to, is Vampira. Uh-huh. Of the Vampira Show, which aired in the Los Angeles area in 1954 and almost instantly became a cult classic. We really suffer from the lack of local TV markets now. Like, it's really hard to have something original yeah. and, and and that is specific to local 
culture. Yes. And that was such a like a really fun and charming part of earlier television history. I do kind of miss that about broadcast television mm-hmm. history. That that is a sad a sad thing. It's sort of the same story as what happened with our wrestling promotions. The yeah, same thing, it which, is the which same also thing. had their uh, culture, like all the Jim Cornette Southern ones. We don't have to turn to a wrestling podcast. <laughs> there are plenty of good wrestling podcasts to talk to Jim Cornette specifically. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> so this character, Vampira, was the creation of the actress who played her, uh, Mela Nurmi. She was, I want to say, Finnish American. And. Here is a fact that I learned that just blew my mind. Did you know that the Adams family was based on cartoons from the New Yorker? No, but I can totally see that. Yeah, now you can. Because they're like, silhouettes. They almost like ink-drawn people. Well, exactly. And like, so the creator of those cartoons, um, Charles Adams, A-D-D-A-M-S, okay. like he was the one who made up those cartoons. Eventually that would go on to be a TV show. But the cartoons were popular here about 10 years before it became a TV show. And what happened was uh, Nermi, the vampire actress, she, she went to a Halloween party dressed as Adams, Morticia Adams uh-huh. from the proto Adams family. It was so popular. Um, she won best costume of the night and a TV producer saw her and was like, baby, do you want to have a TV show where you do that thing? Cause like, I want to see 50s, a nineties movie about that. I know. Right. Doesn't that sound hilarious? And then, so to sort of protect the intellectual property. So she wasn't just copying it. She decided to reimagine the character and costume as a buxom and glamorous single vampire. Sorry, this is just from Wikipedia yeah. in, instead of the mother of a family. And then she named her creation Vampira. And um, here's another fun fact. This is why I pick Vampira. I love when people are given the opportunity to have something and don't do it. You know what I mean? Yes. You're in Los Angeles. I have this problem at work all the time, especially if I get on one of those dumb committees where like the fun committee or something. No, we're going to do it. We are doing a full production. Why are we here if not to do everything with our whole hearts? If I'm up here, it's going to be a full on production. Yeah, so this was a Halloween costume that got turned into a lucrative TV gig. And she could have done anything. But she was like, no, I'm going to make this amazing. Okay, so I can't get this question out of my head. I don't mean to interrupt. But the whole time I'm hearing this, I feel like one of the obvious questions people might have is, what's her relationship uh, like in time or subject matter to Elvira? Because is this is this very similar to Elvira? Was this a popular type of character at the time? I feel that Elvira, as a when she was young, she would have been she would have seen Vampira, and oh. it would go on to influence. Okay, so and basically she would copy. Okay, so that's a formative character type. Vampire yes. is the progenitor, and then like everyone would see this and just decide this is a great idea. What she's doing, right. let's let's just make this a thing. Yeah. which is how you know you've got something golden when you take something relatively silly and completely new. And then people are like, yeah, no, this is just going to be a thing from now on. So this is from Wikipedia. I will, I will read the description of her show. Each show began with a spectral image of the wasp wasted vampire gliding through knee deep fog down a dark corridor toward the viewer. Also, this is a very lovingly written Wikipedia article. At the end of her trance-like walk, she would let out a long, piercing scream as the camera zoomed in on her face. She would then smile and coyly remark, Screaming relaxes me so. <laughs> and then she'd sit on a Victorian double-ended sofa and introduce the movie of the night, sometimes pausing to play with her pet spider Rolo, talk with off-camera ghosts, torment her advertiser, Fletcher Jones, 
or drink a vampire cocktail at her poison bar. So she was like, let's Those just do this. Gimmicks. And then apparently also she used to, uh, she liked it so much that she started appearing in broad daylight in full costume. And her husband refused to appear in public with his wife in her vampire costume. So he was lame. <laughs> he is lame. I know. So they're just like, Oh, nah. but what? But to me, that makes that woman's life even more fascinating to know she had that going on at home. And I wonder what influence that had on her performance or wanting or not wanting to do her performance. Well, I have yeah, so many she, questions about this lady. I just love, I just love that she's just like, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this anyway. It's like, like, you're just like a boring guy from the 50s. Like, what I'm doing is very cool over here. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, she comes home and shoves a schwans in the oven. She's like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, cool. we love her. Let's, you know, respect, but respect on her name. Vampira was the original like and the greatest. <laughs> Well, we ended up, I think, reflecting on, like, the modern relevance of the vampire, I feel like. I feel like we saw lots of ways that we still remember the vampire type and the uh, Dracula character uh, or vamp characters over time. Like, we see how it can survive, like you said, pretty much unchanged since 1730. Yeah, which is pretty rad if you think about it. I think also, we talked about this with werewolves, I think we are ready for some more new, really good... Uh, earnest, serious vampire stories. Oh, yeah, definitely. It'll definitely happen. And that, that codependency thing seems really ripe for it. Oh, yeah. There, there's all kinds of untrod grounds. Or maybe like uh, selfish, privileged, capitalist people draining. Or maybe that's just a parasite story. I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. Also, Dracula's just a good look. I think we just like that. We like goth And stuff. as we have already discussed, best music. Good best music. music. Yeah. So basically, vampires... Best McNuggets. Best, best McNuggets. <laughs> vampires are here to stay, and we look forward to seeing all the vampires of the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, email rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media, and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Will, where can people follow us? You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, or you can visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, which is going to come out, I think... October could... 29th. Yeah. Halloween Eve Eve. Yes. Be there. Yes, it is almost, I would say, 94% uh, written. And we are... I've got to go finish writing my part right yeah, now. Yeah, it's, ter- it's really good. It's really funny. Uh, I'm really excited about, about sharing it. and uh, It's going to come out Halloween Eve Eve, so, so don't miss that. Um, and uh, you could also come geek out with Rebecca about audio production and music stuff uh, on her weekly stream at twitch.tv slash kingarity, K-E-E-N-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. Tell of a hero Facing down fears And cutting down foes There's no resemblance To what you know When your own deeds Feel humble and